0: From the CIPRI Knowledge Hub and ciprihub.org, this is Research Minutes, a deep dive into new and important research in the realm of education. I'm Peter Horn. Today we look at advanced placement, a system that allows millions of high school students to earn college credit each year. While many studies have looked at the connections between advanced placement, college achievement, few have examined exactly what college students are doing with those credits. You could
1: um, use them in ways by double-majoring, by graduating early, taking more advanced courses. So you could think about the opportunity to maybe take fewer classes and instead work more in the labor
0: market. You could also envision students saying, oh I'm gonna slack off a little bit. Today we welcome Peabody College's Brent Evans, whose new national study examines the post-enrollment behavior and demographic trends of advanced places. Students. Evans sits down with CPRI research specialist Robert Nathanson to discuss his findings and their potential implications for school districts, colleges, states. And, and policymakers.
1: A lot of state legislators and policymakers have talked about how can we improve time to degree because they have some overcrowded institutions or students are, are languishing in higher education for too many years. And I think providing opportunities for earning college credit in high school does seem to be a viable pathway.
0: That's right now on research minutes.
2: Good afternoon, Brent. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Oh, Thank you for having me, Robert.
2: Today, I'd like to discuss your study, How College Students Use Advanced Placement Credit. The study, which listeners can find in the American Educational Research Journal, sought to determine the impact of advanced placement courses on students' higher education outcomes. For those listeners who may not know, can you give us a quick overview of what advanced placement credit is?
1: Certainly. Advanced placement courses are classes that are offered in high schools all over the country, um, and those classes are taught by traditional high school teachers. The curriculum is somewhat prescribed by the College Board, who is the general sponsor of these advanced placement courses. Courses cover a variety of different subjects, and students enroll in them typically as juniors or seniors in high school and um, take a normal class throughout their their high school year. Um, and then at the end of the year, they're offered an opportunity to take an advanced placement exam that is a nationally offered exam given by the College Board on the curriculum of that course. Um, and students can pass that exam, uh, the exam scored on a score of one to five. Fours and fives typically have the opportunity to give college credit to students
2: when they enroll in higher education. You had mentioned in the paper that sometimes students receive, as you mentioned, college credit. At the same time, they may receive exemption from coursework. Did you discuss that?
1: Yes, so institutions of higher education have uh, the complete authority to decide whether or not to grant credit or exemption for certain general education requirements, um, and some institutions don't give either so it's it's entirely up to the institution. Many do grant college credit for um, AP exam scores for courses that students took in high school. And typical situation might be a student scores a four or five on the AP English composition exam. And then they get credit for a three credit course on English composition for the kind of their general education requirements that they might have to otherwise take in their freshman year of college. Other institutions will offer exemption, not course credit, so that it doesn't count towards credit to graduate, but it does enable students to bypass introductory courses to take more advanced coursework earlier on in their college careers. There are a lot of varieties of those credit uh, options. Some are actually mandated by the state. So for instance, Florida requires the public institutions to accept threes, fours, and five exam scores for credit at the institution, but other institutions have autonomy to set those policies on their own.
2: So there's an enormous amount of variability in the AP policy set at by higher education institutions. What was your motivation behind this research study?
1: I was a student in high school that accumulated a lot of credits um, and had the opportunity to take those credits into higher education. And thought long and hard about how I would use those credits. Did I want to graduate early? Um, Did I want to take more advanced coursework in a certain subject area? And the way that I actually used it was to double major in very disparate subjects. I had so many general education requirements taken care of that I could double major in physics and American government um, and still graduate on time. So my personal experience uh, led me to realize there were a lot of ways that students could use these credits You could um, use them in ways by double majoring, by graduating early, um, taking more advanced courses, in a certain subject area, but you could use them in other ways. You could think about the opportunity to maybe take fewer classes while you're enrolled and instead work more in the labor market as a part-time employee while you're enrolled in college. You could also envision students saying, oh, I'm gonna slack off a little bit and take fewer credits throughout my whole college career and still graduate on time. So I hadn't seen any studies that had considered the variety of ways that students could use them, and that's really what motivated this study.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting work.
1: So what did you find? The big takeaways here are that students use their AP credits in a variety of what I think of as very useful ways. So I definitely find evidence that students are using them to graduate early. Maybe I should take a step back and just say, as you mentioned earlier, that 7.6% of students nationally earn AP credits. And when they do, they earn an average of about 10 credits. And so you could think of that as roughly about three college courses. So for students that that come to college with AP credit that earn 10 credits, that is associated with a reduction in time to degree of about a fifth of a term. So you could think about that as sort of one out of every five students that that enters college with 10 AP credits is graduating a term earlier. So that's a a pretty substantial finding and I think supports some of the prior literature uh, that documents the association between early graduation and earning these college credits in high school. Absolutely. But I wanted to go beyond that, uh, what we'd found in the prior literature. And so I also found that students are much more likely to double major. This is probably the, the largest magnitude of effect across all of the outcomes that I look at. Students that have 10 AP credits, are associated with an increase of double majoring by about 50%. So there is a very large relationship between AP credit receipt and double majoring. I also am able to investigate the kind of students going deeper in the curriculum among math and science courses and find that AP credit is associated with an increase in taking more advanced math and science courses. So part of that is probably uh, selecting into STEM majors and some of that which typically require more credits than non-STEM majors, so AP credits enable them to, to take um, more math and science courses, and I think it's also indicative of students going deeper in their field. I also had mentioned earlier the relationship between AP credits and potentially working for pay in the labor market, and I don't find right. too much of an effect there. So, there's no relationship between more AP credits and students having a job while they're enrolled. There's a really small relationship between AP credits and hours worked per week. That 10 AP credits is associated with a reduction in hours worked per week of about an hour, maybe 1.2 hours. So not a really sizable change there. It doesn't look like students are using AP credits to sort of take time off from school in order to
2: work more in the labor market. Right. What would you say are the major takeaways from your study?
1: So I think I would say that the students who earn AP credit are putting those credits to good use. I think that's one of the big takeaways here. They're graduating early or they're double majoring or they're taking more advanced coursework. They are not you kind of wasting those credits um, in order to increase their leisure time and taking less coursework in higher education. And when you think about them as a resource that students can spend in higher education, they're spending them in useful ways that are likely enhancing their academic experience.
2: One other really interesting thing you did in this study was to examine the relationship between uh, completing advanced placement courses and students' demographic, academic, and financial backgrounds. Could you discuss some of those points?
1: Yes, so this was motivated by some prior research by Dylan Conger, Mark Long, Patricia Ayatarola, um, and others that had examined the AP course-taking behaviors of students from different demographic characteristics in high school. And so I thought that was very interesting, and it would be a nice contribution to the literature to examine how those characteristics played out not in the course-taking at high school, but in the actual credits received when they enroll in higher education. And um, so in my paper, I look at these demographic characteristics relationship with actually earning credits. And I find something that's maybe a little but surprising once you control for um, academic background characteristics, and demographic characteristics, you find that women are more likely to earn AP credits relative to men, um, and actually minority students are more likely to earn AP credits uh, relative to white students, and unsurprisingly that students um, whose parents have a bachelor's degree are more likely to earn AP credits than students whose parents don't have a baccalaureate degree. However, when you control for the institution of enrollment, all of those differences essentially go away. So that within institutions, we see that there's really no variation by race, by gender, by parental education status in the receipt of AP credits. And I think a lot of that is being driven by the fact that students sort into institutions of higher education in very similar ways. Students that are top academic students tend to go to the public flagship or to uh, an elite private institution. And so you end up having populations at the same institution. Relatively homogenous in terms of their academic preparation, and uh, therefore, we don't see much of a difference in AP credits receipt across those individual characteristics once you control for the institution.
2: Right, yeah, that's really interesting. So for me, Your work suggests that students with advanced placement credit have greater flexibility in navigating the college process, whether it's more control over timing of degree completion or exploring another major with positive impacts on the likelihood of completing a degree. Yet, as we've discussed, only 7.6% of first-year college students enter college with advanced placement credit. And you discuss a little bit in the paper what future steps high schools could take to increase greater access and take up of these courses. Could you elaborate on that?
1: Certainly. So I think you're right that these findings suggest that these are useful courses to take for students in high school. And so we might be concerned about the access that students have to these courses. So my first response would be there is a cost associated with taking the exam. Um, the exam costs money. And so I think there are financial barriers that some students are unable and or unwilling to spend money to take the exam. So one pathway forward there is schools or districts could actually pay for the students to take those exams. That would relieve the financial constraint for certain students, or maybe they could come up with a way to have a fee waiver, similar to what we do with SAT fee waivers for AP exams, and have those sort of widely distributed to students that are taking those courses that, that may want to take the exam in order to earn credit. In other institutions of, of kind of at the high school level, there are capacity constraints. And so these courses are sometimes oversubscribed, providing relief for those capacity constraints by adding another section of the AP class or hiring another teacher to teach the AP class would probably be beneficial. But I would also like to point out that the AP credits are not the only way to earn college credit in high school. There are other mechanisms by which students can do this. And although my study is focused on AP credits because those are, are very prevalent and uh, very prevalent in the data, other avenues for earning college credit exist such as earning international baccalaureate credits. There are also dual enrollment classes in which a student is simultaneously enrolled in an institution of higher education as well as in high school. And those classes can provide college credit at the college which the student is enrolled while in high school that can then transfer to other colleges. So I suspect that my findings apply to students earning credits in those other pathways as well. Certainly AP exams are and AP courses are a viable pathway to offer college credit to students. But I would encourage, in general, making those pathways, whether they're AP or IB or dual enrollment, widely available to students as much as possible. And then I would also add that I think academic preparation continues to be key in order for students to take these college-level courses in their junior and senior years of high school, they need academic preparation earlier. One example would be in order to take calculus, AP calculus or AP statistics in their senior year of high school, they really need to have taken Algebra one in eighth grade. So that early preparation is then going to set students up for success in these courses in subsequent
2: years. That makes a lot of sense. Having those prerequisite courses prior to the advanced placement exams implies that students need to be on specific pathways for higher education institutions earlier in their academic career, starting earlier than even high school. One extra point I think is worth mentioning is whether or not these courses are actually offered within high schools. Could you discuss the availability of these courses, of these advanced placement courses at the high school level?
1: Yes, and it is an important point. These courses are fairly ubiquitous, but they certainly don't reach into every high school in the nation. The College Board, I think, has numbers that suggest AP Classes are offered in probably more than 20,000 high schools across the country. But if you start adding up all of the public and private high schools across the country that enroll secondary school students, there are many, many more than that. So there are many schools that do not offer these courses. Sometimes that is an intentional decision, and the school has decided that it does not want to offer AP courses. Um, There are some arguments that AP courses, they find too prescriptive in terms of what the curriculum is and that they rather have a more flexible curriculum that doesn't focus entirely on preparing students in the curriculum that the College Board has developed. Others have not offered these courses because I think what you're thinking of and suggesting that they don't have the resources to hire teachers that can train for the curriculum and, and offer these courses. I think my findings would suggest that there is a benefit to the students by offering some pathway an avenue for them to earn college credit. So, if they've made an intentional decision not to offer AP courses, I think they should consider does that also mean they want to restrict students' access to dual enrollment courses or IB courses? Is it something about the AP course per se, or is it something in general about not wanting to offer students a pathway to receive college credit? And uh, I think institutions. Have secondary level and local education agencies need to have serious discussions about that. In terms of the schools that can't offer them because they're sort of constrained by resources, that's a different challenge and probably requires some outreach from the college board. And sometimes I think there's a concern about the demand for those courses. For schools that don't have high college enrollment rates, I think there's a concern that, oh, well, we could offer this course, but there wouldn't be very many students that would be interested in taking it or that are academically prepared to take it. And that might be a little bit of a chicken and egg problem. If they offered the course, perhaps that would change student perceptions. So I think that's a a debate that is um, that's being had in a lot of districts
2: and high schools across the nation. Right. What might you suggest higher education institutions, state legislators and other policymakers do to help foster student achievement?
1: So I think my findings have a couple important implications for institutions of higher education and for policymakers. One, I used to work professionally as an admissions officer, and we would have discussions in our office about what the appropriate AP granting policies of the institution should be. So I think my study suggests that students are using these credits in very useful ways that are probably a benefit to both the student and to the institution by having students that are double majoring, that are taking more advanced coursework, that that suggests that AP granting policies should be, I think, generous. That the idea of giving the students this resource in order to uh, provide credit and exemption from these introductory courses is probably very useful to these students. Anecdotally, although I don't study this because I'm conditioning on students that have enrolled in college, I also think some students consider where to attend based on how many credits they will receive, though so an institution can somehow have a competitive edge or can lose comparative advantage by not offering credit for those AP credits or similarly by not allowing transfer credits from a community college, for instance. So I do think that these results have implications for policymakers at an institutional level in deciding what their AP credit granting policies should be. And then similarly, at the state level, especially for states that mandate the AP credit granting policies, these results suggest that students similarly are taking advantage of these AP credits in useful ways. Um, And so I would encourage discussing and assessing those AP credit granting policies in a way that enables students to earn those credits. I also think a lot of state legislators and policymakers have talked about how can we improve time to degree because they have some overcrowded institutions of higher education or students are, are languishing in higher education for too many years. And I think providing opportunities for earning college credit in high school does seem to be a viable pathway for students to accelerate time to degree. So if that's a concern at the state level, then providing more avenues for students to earn those college credits in high school could potentially alleviate some of those issues in higher
2: ed. Brent, your work speaks to the wide array of positive impacts associated with enrolling in college-level courses while in high school. I look forward to learning more as you pursue this important area of research. Professor Evans, thank you very much for speaking with us today. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPre Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, visit us at cprehub.org. That's c p r e hub.org. To hear more of me, Peter Horn, you can follow the Point of Learning podcast on your favorite streaming service or at hornedconsulting.org. To share your thoughts on today's episode or to suggest future topics, find the CPre Knowledge Hub on Twitter. At Sepri Hub, we look forward to you joining the conversation.